Hey everyone, I'm Brian Conley of Hunters HD Gold, and you're listening to Season 2 of Hunters HD Gold Behind the Lens. This podcast takes a deep dive into what it takes to be a match director, manufacturer, sponsored shooter, or just an everyday shooter trying to win his or her first major. So sit back and enjoy this episode of Hunters HD Gold Behind the Lens. Welcome back to another episode of Hunter's HD Gold Behind the Lens. Today, I have with me again, Jake Martins, Director of Media and Events for USPSA. And I just want to, you know, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Uh, thanks for having me back on. I think uh, I was your first guest, right? You are the very first guest. And you so still, we set the bar pretty high. You did. You have the most downloads still. So I'm not sure if that's because everybody listens to the first episode and quits or they just get yeah, continue. Maybe, we didn't, <laughs> maybe I didn't help out. I don't know. It's just one of those things. I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I'm not sure which direction that's really working yet. But no, all kidding aside, I wanted to have a, you know, a different conversation with you today to start off because um, you've been doing... USPSA for how long? I've heard, I think 14 years. So this is my officially 22nd year oh. of shooting competition. And my first USPSA match was in 2004. Okay. So, so 18 years of USPSA. Um, and it'll be my eighth year of employment, 18 years of shooting USPSA, 22 years of competition. And, my dad and I were talking about it when we recently took a trip together. I, I think the first time we went shooting that he can think of, I was eight or nine. Yeah, because that's where I was going next. When did you start shooting? Like eight or nine? Eight, doing eight or nine. So my dad, um, Barry, and my uncle Gary um, were big into NRA. My dad was big into trap and skeet. And my uncle Gary actually was the treasurer for the Indiana State Rifle and Pistol Association and Red Bush Gun Club, Daniel Boone Club, Gun Club in, in Indiana and did bullseye stuff at first. It's kind of how I learned was off of Ruger uh, Security 6 and a Smith & Wesson Model 41, 25-yard, single hand. And you were doing single hand at how old? I wasn't doing single hand then. Okay. Um, I think we were doing the, uh, the, the high standards in the Model 41, 22s, kind of off of a bench and 22 bolt action rifles then. And just kind of progressed through stuff. Um, and then, you know, he had 1911s that were over there that uh, eventually graduated to that probably between 10 and 12 years old shooting that stuff. They had a really, really good friend of my uncle's, uh, Mike Bradford, that actually had a shooting range in his basement of his house um, that we would wow. go to on like Tuesday nights um, and shoot down there. So I've been shooting guns since i mean eight eight to ten somewhere around right. in there what, um, what did mr you said bradford he owned uh construction company i was curious and, what he did to have a gun range in his basement That's oh it's a 25 yard <laughs> double lane gun range that was actually right. built down underneath his house well the gun range was built and then his house was built up on top of okay it. um and then in there i mean first exposure to reloading you know large gun collection right um and just there were different people that you would meet that would come over there and actually you know practice during the week um and doing stuff and and just you know that exposure to um that side of where you could really go with shooting competition these guys were all nra bullseye 1500 um that type of shooting. Mm -hmm. um, and my dad and my brother were always into hunting. Um, I was not. 
I did that okay. a little bit. Right. I would I would be the uh, the the middle kid um, was dragged along to um, some hunting trips. Uh, the last time I ever went hunting, I think was the coldest day on record <laughs> at in Indiana um, at Patoka Lake, where the water was freezing back up as they were breaking it up as the boat went through to get to the duck blind. Um, the dog kind of froze to the bottom of the duck blind, you know, oh my gosh. <laughs> getting wet. Um, I just remember sitting there, you know, I, the, the barrel of the shotgun kind of froze to the side of my face. Cause I mean, it was that, that, you know, I'm leaving that experience. It was like, well, this is not fun. No, I um, get that. <laughs> but later, I mean, I would go and do dove hunting with friends and stuff when right. we were in high school, which was great. Cause that was, you know. A, a, a case of shotgun shells, a case of beer um, mm-hmm. sitting out in the cornfield kind of stuff. So more for me, it was more the action side of shooting, standing on a, on a, you know, stagnant pistol line where you're just static or sitting in a duck blind or, or climbing up in a tree. I respect all the people who do that. It's just not, I don't, right. I don't have the patience for that. Did your did your dad kind of push you to do that, or did I try to get that in you? No, at that we age? were never or really. I think I mean we weren't ever like pushed into any of those kind of things. Okay, even when it came to playing sports in grade school and high school, mm-hmm. um, where he coached baseball teams for us and, and all that, it was never you're going to go and play, you're going to go and do any of that. Right. It was a lot of it was you know choices that we made because we enjoyed doing it. Right. Um. And you know my brother. Uh, who's three years older than I and lives down in Florida now. Um, we we all played sports. He played basketball, football, baseball. I played baseball, basketball, soccer, tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, and then up until about my freshman year in high school, we, we moved from Evansville to outside of St. Louis in Belleville, Illinois. And two weeks before school started, his senior year, my freshman year. What Was that because of? The parents, Dad, Dad's job has yeah. job changed. Yeah. Well, that's got to be pretty like screwed up as a. In, it was difficult. It was especially. I mean, the harder transition obviously was for my brother. That was his senior year in high right. school, and his group of friends were still, you know, in Evansville. Um, for me, coming out, um, I remember going and trying out for the baseball team. That you know that fall, I'm, I'm two weeks before school starts, and um, it's like, yeah, you can make it, but you're not going to play. Um, because all those guys, right. you know, grew up playing together in leagues and at the middle schools and all the feeder schools that went into, uh, that high school. So right. I did that my, my freshman year and after losing on Friday nights and then running on Saturday mornings, mm. um, it was not fun. Right. So then I, I, at 16 went into retail. That's 16. 16. Wow. I was an assistant manager of a licensed product apparel store. My senior year in high school, I was making $24,000 a year. My senior year in high school as an assistant manager working 40 hours a week, coming in at 1230 and closing the store. Um, it, it worked out and I, I actually, you know, my path for the next 25 years stayed in retail. Yeah. And that I, I have, a, we have a lot of similarities there with each other that I won't get into now. People may <laughs> be able to talk about it on other podcasts, but so from 16 years old, you went working a full time job. Mm-hmm. Did so th- at that age. That's when the guns kind of went away a was little it, bit because you know because working in retail management or working in retail in general, you work in the weekends. There's no you know time to go do stuff like always, other people. Always an interest was still there, and then okay. every time that I would uh, you know go back 
home to Evansville before my uncle had passed. Would would go and shoot with them, go to Daniel Boone Gun Club, do stuff. Um, but there was always a familiarity. There was always kind of, you know, the shooting was still kind of there. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I graduated high school, after I tried college you know, a couple of times, um, and I had moved around from Belleville, Illinois to Overland Park, Kansas, back to Evansville, to Lexington, Kentucky, to Atlanta, Georgia, Augusta, Georgia, Cincinnati. Right. Um, as soon as I turned 21, I, I bought my first handgun that I could buy myself. Um, and I lived in, uh, I was back in Evansville. So okay. a, a Ruger um, P95. So you you had enough stuff from the NRA and stuff from your parents that you, you went on your own to buy a gun at 21 to defend yourself that was in yes. the retail world. Um, yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's funny you say that because I was in the retail world for all those years. Yeah, I can well. say it now. There and, was, and there was I, never, I never a time did. that there wasn't a firearm in a backpack or somewhere. Wow. Um, in the stores that I worked at and after, I, after I turned 20. Wow. Well, Cause we yeah. worked at some of the same stores and I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> never, yeah. Nobody would have known that. Nobody no, would have known work, that. We didn't work together, but yeah, you had, you know, yeah. you know, at, at um, uh, some of the retail places you were, you know, have lockers, they have places for your backpack, they have other places. And I know. was always in management. So yeah. I, I had the, so. I had the, the lock desk drawer yeah. or I had the, you know, the office that you couldn't have access to. So were you ever, in a, were you ever in a situation with all the retail you worked at where you could come close to having to defend a situation because the retail now is a whole nother world with people just grabbing and running and, and taking stuff out of the store. We didn't have to experience that a lot. We had some, we had small petty theft, but it oh, was no, nothing. We like, had, we had big, yes, big theft. We had, we had the grab and goes when, when I was with Sears, okay. I mean, the spinners on top of the jewelry counter. Yeah. You sit there and you think that's, you know, that's kind of junk jewelry. Less that's expensive stuff. There. Yeah. But if you've got, you know, 47 Seiko watches that are $200 a piece that are right. on a spinner and somebody can grab that off the top and run out the door, right. I mean, that makes it to the flea market right down the road. We, we were always instructed in the retailer worked at not to pursue. Um, was that later in, in retail, depending on which companies and stuff that you were for, yeah, right. not pursue. Now, um, being, being operations manager or store manager, depending on where I lived, was always the first person on the call list for the alarms. Mm-hmm. that would go off. Um, and when I was with Circuit City in Indianapolis, um, there was a time that I was very thankful that I did have a firearm on me because somebody was in the store that had broken to the back of it. Um, and that particular store, the, the back doors actually just went to an office area mm-hmm. and didn't access the web, the, the warehouse or anything. So you're instructed to when you come and do the alarm, you have to wait for the police to show up, but you kind of do a perimeter drive That's around right. of, the, of the store. And yeah, I pull around back and I see the doors, you know, open and it's a door that didn't have handles on the back of it. So it was one that was pried open and you could see that And as I'm, I'm still in the car sitting there. Um, and the guy comes running out that door, stops, looks at me. I look at him and it's, you know, it's that, Oh shit moment. Of, right. Like, you know, am I now going to drive over this person or, or, or pull a firearm out? And look, you know, he took off running, but that was one of those times where you're sitting there thinking, I'm thankful that, you know, I had the foresight to, to know how to use a firearm and have one with me. But no, never have been in a situation to where I have, uh, pulled one Mm -hmm. or, or been in, in, um, you know, 
thought to use one, probably, but never right. in that. And I think I told you about one here oh. recently. Maybe I didn't. Not sure. I was uh, going to meet people um, from a match afterwards. Uh, well, I'm not going to say where I was at, but okay. um, not familiar with the area. And I am in a, uh, a Ford F-150 rental and I'm driving and I have my, I didn't bring my cable. So I, I'm doing GPS to go meet people for dinner. Right. That's about 30 minutes away from the hotel I'm staying at. And I'm, my head's down. I'm trying to see, and you know, I, I'm coming up to a light where it's a double lane and the right lane is going to end right after the light changes. And I, I miss kind of seeing that. So I pull up and as soon as I pull up, my phone starts doing rerouting and the light changes. So I just kind of speed up in front of this truck that's behind there. I don't cut him off. I, I, I took off kind of quick. So, But then it starts saying rerouting, rerouting, and my head's down, kind of looking to see, all right, where in the hell am I going? And then I notice in the rearview mirror, this dude's flipping me off and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And I, I didn't intentionally cut him off, and I wasn't trying to race him past. I'm just kind of, you know, doing what we do and not paying attention that much. Right. So as we come around the corner, he flies up around me and we come up to a red light and he slams on his brakes, lights red, um, and he's like three or four car lengths away from the red light and throws open the door on his vehicle. Oh, my goodness. Right. And I'm standing there and I'm I'm carrying concealed right. from appendix right. with my seatbelt on across the front of me. And I'm in this moment of, oh, shit. Right now. I've learned some very valuable lessons that I've talked to some people afterwards. So he doesn't get out, but he's got one leg out and he's got his arm. And he's like waving me up, like, get out. Let's, let's go. Come on, get out. So I'm still in drive and I have my foot on the brake and I, I go to pull my firearm out just to put it on the console next to me and realize it's, it's underneath my shirt behind my seatbelt. <clears throat> I'm all tied up trying to do crap to right. do all this stuff. And it's sitting there and, and the light turns green and he's not going. So I'm like, all right, I, I'm either going to drive forward and start, you know, if he gets out, making that decision. I didn't panic. I didn't get nervous. I I was familiar with everything. You Dude. had your coffee already. <laughs> well, this was in the <laughs> evening. Yeah. So, so um, you know, people start honking and he pulls off. And then I kind of go over and drive around and do that assess the situation. And it was like, shit, you know, this was wow. like if he got out. I like I said I learned a couple of things about if you're carrying appendix how you should have your seatbelt where your shirt should be mm-hmm. kind of deal because yeah I was you know to come running right at that situation at that situation I, I you know I was not prepared to dig through you know a layer of mm-hmm. of stuff to get to it so mm-hmm. um but the other takeaway from it was is that I was armed I was familiar with my firearm All right I was not nervous in the situation in any way, shape, or form. I mm-hmm. didn't have tunnel vision. I didn't have panic. I, I knew what was going on around me. I mm-hmm. can tell you the you know, there was a red car that was behind me. He was in a white Ford Ranger pickup truck. Right. You know, the first three letters of his license plate, mm-hmm. all that stuff, you know, it all registered. So I was happy with that. I wasn't happy with the fact right. that Did you you ever- I was fumbling around with my <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I look like a teenager trying to take their clothes off the first time they go to get laid. <laughs> Did um 
you know, so you only had a couple of times like that that you've had any situations through those. Yeah, you know, yeah. That, I mean, there, were, there, was, there we, was times in retail, especially and, and, where and I that, had people and yelling you're above at me average. Because usually that never happens to anybody. Ever right, and that is, so when you when you find somebody that actually happens to it's a, it's a, it's it's an anomaly because well it's, it's, so I think it's it's like the law of averages right mm-hmm. so the more you drive the better chance you're going to get a speeding ticket the more you travel Easy. that's kind of I, that's I know right but, but, but the but more that's you a travel subject with me <laughs> <laughs> but the more you travel the more you interact the more you're in places the more that you're you're doing things um, especially with the way things have gone over the last couple of years yes the I don't. I don't want to say the word "better chance," but the likelihood of putting yourself in a situation um, is there. And um, you just, you know, I've had like the lady who cuts my hair. She moved into another shop. I mean, I've been seeing Rachel for I don't know, fifteen years, so she moved to another shop. And right. you know, I take my coat off, and the lady next to her kind of looks at me and stuff, and, and asks a question. She's like, "Why? Why do you feel the need to be armed?" And I always tell them the same thing. I was like. I don't know who you cut off in traffic today that followed you here today or who she cut off or whose ex-boyfriend is deciding to walk in here. Mm-hmm. I said, but I'm hopefully ready for that situation. I was like, you never know when you're standing in line at the convenience store. We've right. all seen the videos where people come in there and do, you know, the smash and grabs or any of that stuff. You never know when you're standing in a store in the mall and somebody just decides that today's the day that they're going to freak out. Right. Um, so... Especially in today's environment with everything getting like it's getting yeah. now. And, and as much as that we travel and drive through cities, um, you know, the the road blockages and the things that were going on over the last two years mm-hmm. or just, you know, like, hey, I picked a Hampton Inn. Well, I don't know exactly the area that's around that's right. where I'm staying at and stuff. Right. So, um you know, does that play into what I do here on the game side of this stuff? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's what I tell people all the time. Even out here today, we're at the gathering. Yep. We've got the public that's coming out here. We've talked to people. Um, and, you know, when when people say, "Yeah, there's nothing practical about USPSA. Why do you guys even have that? You got all these fancy race guns and all this stuff. And I'm like, you know, the gun I carry on a daily basis is the gun I actually shoot in competition. All right. Um or version of it and that learning how to manipulate a firearm at a high rate, able to solve a problem, able to put multiple rounds on a target accurately or as accurately as you, as you can, mm-hmm. um, and, and be able to reload and move from point A to point B all plays out. Right. Um, and I think even in the tactical side of the training world, you're seeing a lot of those guys that are, really emphasizing if you want to get gun handling skills outside of this training class that you're going to, there's a place to go and do it. Understand that we live with the 180. We've got safety rules with regards to how you can manage your firearm and things like that. But the actual, from the buzzer to the unload show clear, there's a lot of that world that crosses over. Right. And you see a lot of guys that are kind of preaching, get out there and do it. And we've seen with the with the rule changes, the appendix carry or allowed flashlights. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a lot of the reason for that. Um, just besides the sh- subjectivity of where your holster was at. Right. So, so when did you? You know, you went through a process doing retail. When did you find out about 
the competitive side besides standing and holding a gun? When when did when did the USPSA USPSA or other action side come up to you in the retail world? So for me, um, there's a gun store that's out in Plainfield, Indiana, that is owned by Bob and Deb Cheeks. A lot of people will probably remember Deb, who was very big um, in the three gun world and competition world. Um, for a long period of time. And I would go out there and a lot of the gun purchases and things I did was with Bob at that store. And he is the first person that really invited me to go and do competition shooting, just talking about things that were different. Did the store have a gun range or just, just no, a standalone? Just a standalone gun range, okay. but they were active in the shooting community. Mm -hmm. um, Let me back up. A standalone store or a standalone gun range? Standalone store. No okay. gun range. Yeah, store, no, yeah, store. No, okay. no indoor gun range. Okay. Um, and... So at the time, uh, the way my schedule worked out, um, I was able to go to an IDPA match right. that was at the Riley Conservation Club in Terre Haute. Familiar with it? Not, um, not a USPSA match that was being held in Gas City. So the difference between, and literally, this is kind of funny, but the difference was a, an hour and 45 minute drive. Or an hour drive. And that's how I made my decision as to which one that I went to first. Mm -hmm. And I went and I shot an IDPA match um, that was uh, a classifier match for them at the time where they had the, the dedicated kind of stages. And I rolled in there with the gun that I owned at the time, which was a uh, Kimber Pro Elite um, the commander size kind of 45. Mm -hmm. And were you were you married then? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you were married with the kids. Married, and married with a kid. Okay. Yep. Um, actually, uh, two kids. Okay. So um, I went and I shot that match, and and they allowed you to shoot it again for a second time. Okay. And I classified right out of the bat as a sharpshooter and custom defense pistol. Um, but from there, I went back and had people tell me, it was like, oh, if you really want to get serious with this, you don't want to have um, more of a compact size 45 you want to get a full-size 45 so i went and i bought a springfield mm -hmm. uh, loaded model 45 um for competition and then i still had the other one that was my carry gun now in our retail background everything is about numbers and competition right and and, and a lot of people don't know that it's all about being against other stores and being yourself the, being the best being the best in the district yep. then being the best in the region and all the different KPIs that everybody measures, you you always want to be the best leading store. Oh yeah. When you got your first classification as sharpshooter. Oh yeah. Were you like once I learned more about Yeah, that's where and, I, that's where I was going with that. And that I could do it in different divisions with different firearms. Mm -hmm. So So that was attractive to you right off the right bat. Right off the bat. Yep. Right off the bat. Um because in the retail side of the world of how we did things, just as like like you said, um at that time, I was, uh, I was with, I think I was still, I was with Circuit City. Okay. So I was, I was still with Circuit City um, and everything measurable. Oh, I mean, time. everything from customer service scores to accessory add-ons, everything. To the extended warranties, every right. single thing. And how you were compensated, you know, it was a salary, but I mean, in the retail side of things, You've got a chance at 30, 40% of your base pay bonus based on all of those numbers. Mm -hmm. So you 
you know, the things that you could dig in in a hundred percent control, you may not be able to control the footsteps that come in the door, right? but you can control the, the inside those four walls, what happens while they're there. Um, and that's the same in, in competition shooting. I can't control who I'm shooting against. I can't control who shows up that day, but I can control what happens inside the, the four walls of me shooting my gear, how I break down stages, the level of competency I have with my firearm, um, all that. So it, it appealed to me immediately on okay. the competition side of things. Um, and to come out and be like, ah, oh, yeah, you know, people were like, you did pretty good here. This is what you screwed up. Work on this. Go get that. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, boom. <laughs> you know, um, I went from that to then as soon as I found out there were bigger matches. Right outside of that then in 2000 so that was 2000 2001 i went to the smith and wesson indoor nationals in massachusetts i went to the spring nationals that they held out in uh columbia missouri i went to the uh tom givens range Masters as a brand new shooter brand new shooter this was two months into it wow because i did the first match um right there in january and then by march april may Mm-hmm. I, I was going and hitting those big matches um, and then found out about the the Indiana State and the Indiana region match, offered to help do prize tables with those guys um, because I understood the the retail side of things, like how you, how you can promote these matches to these manufacturers. Right. Um, and, and started helping doing that stuff and helping putting matches, the, those two matches. They were usually between... Wildcat Valley, that's up in Lafayette, and the Redbrush Gun Club, that's down in uh, outside of Evansville. They would switch mm-hmm. each year. One would be the region match, one would be the state match, and they would they would flip back and forth. Um, and to this day, you know, guys that I shot with back then, Joe Veray, Bill Dazarn, I, I I go and eat breakfast with Bill um, mm-hmm. probably twice a month, and we go to the gun range. So lifelong friends, right? And when you stuff. when you first got started, did you take any training classes with anybody? No. Okay. No, I didn't take I didn't take any training classes um, until I started doing USPSA. Okay. Um, and then I, I've taken a couple. I took a Manny Bragg class with my dad out in Missouri. I went to a Bob Vogel class with with my buddy Bill at Bob's house. Um, I went to a Frank Proctor class. I went to a Ben Sager class. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to work something out to go and do uh, a class with JJ to cover it for the magazine right um but along the way i picked up some shooting friends that i had one of them aaron bright who we started training and practicing together okay um and aaron was a high school football coach and a wrestling coach so as far as somebody that can break down your fundamentals Mm -hmm. and help you and show you where things are at Aaron was a huge asset. This week's podcast is brought to you by Kana Gold. Kana Gold is a premier lifestyle brand for those who work hard and play harder. There are many hemp companies out there that get lost in the crowd, but Kana Gold sets the gold standard with its premier line of products. When traveling all around with a magical mystery tour to different matches, I travel around with lots of different flavors, including pink grapefruit, candy apple, and vanilla cherry. Make sure to stop by and get some for yourself. They are all zero calories, zero sugar, use organic hemp, and are THC and CBD free. 
Competitive shooters love them because there's no shakes, no headaches, and no crash. When you order from ConnieGoldHemp.com, make sure to use discount code HUNTERSHD for another 20% off. How did you even find time to do this in retail world? Because in retail world, we didn't have off on weekends. Um, and, and very rarely. And with a know, wife and three kids. and Yeah, but, um, you know, but the big thing is, is, is retail. Your job was, you know, even as managers, the managers would work some weekends. I always worked weekends. Yeah. Um, so I actually, the way that I would work with my staff is we would sit down. And figure out a schedule for the entire month. Okay. Month in advance schedule. Month in advance schedule. Such a pain in the rear end, but I'm familiar with it. Right. (laughs) So. Because life happens on top of the schedule. Yeah. People get sick. People have kids. You know, things. Um, But it was always like, all right, who needs what off? Mm -hmm. And how are we going to get the best coverage? And, you know, if, if my two assistant managers needed, you know, this Friday off for whatever reason, if I'm going to work open to close all that day, mm-hmm. I'll come in and open on Saturday morning. But then I'm not going to come back until Monday right? because I'm going to be driving to someplace here or someplace there. And that, right. that was a lot of what it was. So okay. the, the first couple of years that I shot. You had a good team with you that because that's. Yeah. Helps a lot with a good team. It does. But there was the first first. Probably eight or nine years that I shot, um, I would leave on like a a Friday night or a Saturday night. Like mm-hmm. I had closed the store at nine 30 with my stuff packed and would drive to the match on mm-hmm. Saturday or Sunday morning, shoot and then turn around and drive home. Um, and that was going to area matches, state matches, not just club matches. Right. Um, and do that stuff a, a lot. So it would be, you know, was I, your family going with you back then? Some, some, sometimes, okay. not much. This was more of uh, me. I mean, my my wife at the time, um, when we were, Kathy would go to some matches with me, mm-hmm. but my kids were in volleyball and sports and um, those, she, she worked as well. So the schedule didn't always match up right. like that. Um, so we always planned out, you know, our week around some of these activities as well. Right. So, yeah, it, it became, I mean, it became a balancing act, obviously, uh, especially then reloading, oh, yeah. going and doing all the stuff that kind of fits into Any it. retail manager I've ever met knows how to multitask. That, yeah. That's just one of those things, yeah. multitask life <laughs> and multitask just everything because we're, um, we're a different breed of, of, of people. There, that, that are not exposed to a lot of the stuff yeah. that we've been exposed well, to. Well, there there are times where, so like when I became the section coordinator for Indiana in 2009. So nine years after you yeah. found USPSA or eight years after you found USPSA? Uh, no, no, five, four years. Four years. Four, four years so after you, I went all in. So okay. 2004 was the first match, 2005. So within four years, I became the section coordinator in Indiana um, and started putting on matches. Mm-hmm. But there, I mean... Also on the retail side of things, there are a lot of times where you're doing conference calls. Right. Um, back then, there was no Zoom calls. So, no, no, yeah, you're just was. on speakerphone with your office door closed. Yeah. And uh, I'm I'm, de- mute. I'm designing <laughs> I'm designing stages out there with the photocopier, printing right. stuff off, and and you know building matchbooks mm-hmm. there in in the store as part of that stuff. So yeah, and even the people that I worked with knew mm-hmm. that that side of things. 
I had a um, so you were a, able to educate some of your oh yeah management staff that you were shooting and oh, normalize the shooting. We sport. used we used to do team building exercises where I would take um, you know the people that work for me mm-hmm. to the range um, and you know take four or five people to, to go shooting and do stuff. So they all they knew, and I think that really helped as far as they got. Like, hey, we're gonna we'll work a little extra. You work a little extra, and everything mm-hmm. worked out. I had a uh, had a district manager that came in that when they fired him, I was happy, but uh, came in and I had I had pictures of me shooting like up on the wall. Oh wow! And uh, he was like, "You're gonna have to take those down. We're, we don't allow stuff like that." Um, and I said, "That's fine, as long as you can tell me that everybody that you know in their office has pictures of anybody doing golf, tennis, football." All that comes down because this is a sport too. We can sit here and have this argument. We can go to HR and do whatever you want. Um, How that? Oh, I, tell me more about what his response was on that one. I won. I mean, <laughs> right? You know, it was one of those things. It was just like <laughs> we we can have this argument. We can do this stuff, but at the end of the day, you know, this, this is, is a recognized. Yeah, this is a district and, manager. And if you don't know in retail world, when you start talking to your district manager, the one who's responsible for your increase in raises, the one who's responsible for doing your reviews, <laughs> the one who's pretty much responsible for your your well being. I picked many, many. <laughs> if anybody. I've told anybody who knows me knows I've, I've picked many, many fights with with higher ups in retail over the years yeah. um, and, and came out uh, a better person many times for that. And I've told you the story about, you know, the worst six months of my life when I worked for Sears. Um, my store at the time was the regional meeting office mm-hmm. where where we had big break rooms and stuff that were up there. These are old Sears stores. So they're, right. you know, 125,000 square foot stores that used to do $80 million a year that were now, you know, 30 and $40 million a year stores. So you still had this huge space and all these old offices and stuff that was unused. So they would always pick kind of a regional meeting store. So we had this, um, and this is, uh, you know, <laughs> back when I was probably hung over that morning. <laughs> So they introduce all the store managers. There's like 30 of us in there from the region. And it's an HR meeting. And we're all learning about harassment and the do's and don'ts and all this stuff. And I get up there and they talk about what's going to, you know, we're all going to hear sensitive things. We're all going to learn stuff. We're going to watch these videos about situations that you get in there and, and you know, understand that there are times where you're made kind of be like, oh, that's very uncomfortable, the things that are going on. Because it was it was back in that kind of training of HR, right. like, like, you know, <laughs> real kind of nitty gritty kind of stuff. Yes. So I, they invite me up there to do the kind of where the bathroom's at when we're having lunch and all this stuff. And then I introduce the regional HR lady to come in and I say, and this is whatever her name is, so-and-so, and she's here to teach us that harass is not two words. <laughs> and I get that response exactly. from all the store managers. So awesome. I do not get that response from all the regional managers and district yeah. managers there. So four days later, I'm in Hoffman Estates, Illinois, where the, the corporate office of Sears are at, basically, you know, defending why they shouldn't fire me. Um, and I went into the... Um, I'm, I'm pretty good at arguing. I was like, well, we started out the meeting talking about we're going to hear uncomfortable things and be put in situations and people are going to have to make decisions and talk about stuff that they may not feel comfortable with. So I just kicked it off with, you know, kind of a lighthearted joke that right. could be used as an example of what not to do. 
So I didn't get fired. But for the next six months, I had every audit, every visit. I mean, right down to state inspectors that were coming to look at, like, looking for a reason. All your permits correct on your elevator maintenance. I mean, you know, is everything up to date? Is every review ever? I mean, and that was the funny part about it was, is that was the absolute best my store had ever Mm -hmm. ran because everything. It was the worst thing and the best thing ever happened to you. Right. Because you, (laughs) because I I came out of it going, uh, because. I ended up having like my biggest bonus ever because mm-hmm. we hit every number because everything was spot on. But what I learned was, is that I held a very, very high standard for everybody in the store mm-hmm. for that period of time, as far as dress code, attendance, everything. And everything ran. Everything was like clockwork. Everything was perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew where I couldn't pull back from. I couldn't fall back on, ah, you know, Johnny's 15 minutes late and he comes in and he's not wearing his name tag. Right. Not a big deal. He's only working three hours on a Friday night. No, we never backed off of that stuff. Right. And that standard, you know, I learned if you just hold that standard on stuff, um, people will either rise to it or they won't. And, you know, people that don't just don't stick around. Um, And I still hold with how I do things now and how I look at, you know, even out here or the people that I deal with or the matches that I go to or the matches that I put on, try to keep that same mentality with right. things. And when we fail, and we have, um, you know, I take it to heart and try to fix it for the next time. Right. And there are people that are around me that you and you've heard, you know, Jake Martins is an asshole. Right. <clears throat> Maybe. Right. And I normally say, you got to ask that person why. Right. Like what, what situation were they in with me that they came away with that? Because I, I'm kind of short with people. I kind of, um, I don't mix words with things. I'm just kind of straightforward, but that's also because I've seen the other side of, of life that has happened and things that I experienced to where I don't have time for that. Because you, when you first started shooting, um, I've seen, pictures that they wouldn't even recognize you because you you used to weigh a lot more than you do now i went i went through a a period of my life um where and people who who know me from the past um it'll be nine years this coming august um yeah i weighed over 360 pounds it's like 370 Mm -hmm. between 350 and 370 just depending on you know how much pizza and beer i had the night before Mm -hmm. um had a, had a a serious drinking problem for um it was a lot longer than I probably would would have admitted to at the time right um and then went through a couple different things um one of those was that that period in when you know my job was on the line with Sears mm-hmm. um for kind of being a funny smart ass kind of Happy, you know, happy go lucky kind of guy. You know, that was one of those things that was kind of an eye opening experience. It's like, all right, you need to start getting some things put together. Um, we had some experiences with with my wife, um, then where she was going through, um, she was diagnosed as being bipolar, right? A manic depressant, and and was you know, struggling with some addiction issues herself with alcohol, um, and had had an attempt on her life 
then at about it would be probably 12 years ago wow um yeah she she had disappeared from the house um was found in a parking lot by the police uh with a firearm you know and had at that point we we went through a lot of things you know some some medical stuff with her um and i reevaluated my life and sat there and said okay you know, I weigh 350, 360 pounds. I'm, you know, I'm coming home from work at 930 at night. I'm drinking a 12 or 18. You know, I, I, I make the, I, I make a lot of jokes about things, but I, I make the comment about, you know, my downfall with alcoholism was, is when they came out with the 18 pack, mm-hmm. a 12 pack, I was fine. I could right. drink a 12 pack, you know, every night. And it wasn't a big deal. It's when they came out with the 18 pack is when I discovered I had a problem. <laughs> oh my Lord. But you know, right through through that competitive side of me, it was like, "Are oh, you going to hand me eighteen beers?" Well, I'll drink eighteen right. beers. You hand me nineteen, I'll drink and, nineteen. And a lot of people don't realize that in the retail world of that, it's very very common for people to have all kinds of addictions in retail world. We found out, yeah, because your schedule is so crazy. Oh, it's not. You're you sacrifice your family. You're sacrificing yeah, your friends. Because it's not Monday through Friday. You, you, yeah. yeah, you're you're you sacrifice your weekends. There's a whole lifestyle change when you go to what to choose the path that we chose right. to go down. Yeah, because you know, day after Thanksgiving you're working. You know, day after mm-hmm. day after Christmas you're working. Yeah. Christmas Eve you're working. Yeah. So not never it, home for the families on those days that you know hardly because you know it's and crazy. A, and a lot of people that you work with, you're you may be going to um, you know district meetings and things with them. There's drinking that's there. Yep. The other side of that is, uh, you know, I was going and, and, and shooting competitively on weekends and stuff. And, I mean, let's face it, sitting around in a parking lot, you know, the night before the match and all that stuff, you know, we're, you're with people that, that, that are drinking. I just, you know, like everything I kind of do, I, I'm, I'm pretty excessive compulsive about certain things. Right. One of those was is that, you know, when you, when you study alcoholism, a lot of people that have excessive compulsive disorder – um, usually have some, some behavioral issues with, with addictions. And, right. and mine was, you know, um, I, I enjoyed drinking a lot as fast as I could to get to a certain point mm-hmm. and then be able to maintain it. I was a very, you know, I don't, I don't like the, the term functional drunk because there's, there's really no such thing as that. Um, but I got to a point to where, you know, I knew that at certain points of the day, the way that I felt would only make you know that that withdrawal kind of feeling that you go through would only get better, and I'd get through it by as soon as I got home, having four, five, six, ten, twelve, right. you know, eighteen beers or 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 you know, very very large Captain Morgan. <laughs> right. Um, so it wasn't just beer; it was everything. No, so. I was very actually no. I uh, just like I am now. I'm very selective about stuff. Yeah, right. it, it you was, get a hotel next to a Starbucks. I agree. Right. It, it, <laughs> it was it was beer or it was okay. Didn't know okay. rum and coke. Okay. I, I didn't ever really go down any. You know, people were like, "Oh yeah, did you ever drink scotch?" No, right. I may have tried it, didn't like it. So, right. like I am now, I'm I'm very specific about you know what what I did and how I did it. And um, after we went through that with her, I was like, all right, we got, I got three kids. I got a career. I, my wife is dealing with some of these things. Mm-hmm. So I went to check into rehab. Um, and it's not, you know, don't let the movies fool you. You just don't walk in and be like, Hey, I'm here. 
and everything is great. You know, f- four hours of interviews and sitting there going through all this stuff and doing all that crap. I walked out. I got I to say, I got you have patience off. for that. Okay, you did. I, have I, I walked for it. out. I was like, screw you guys. I'm not going through all this stuff. I'm here for help, and you're you're putting me through this tremendous amount of. I mean, and I, and I, need, I need a drink. <laughs> literally, literally, I was like, I I'm going to deal go, with this. I'm going to go and do it on my own. Right. right? It's just like, I don't need this. I'm going to go do it on my own. So for like three months, I, you know, did it on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, and then drank. And then a year later, I went back and checked myself into rehab and went through the process that they wanted you to go through because you have to give up control. Wow. And that's for me was extremely. <sighs> difficult you have to realize that you are out of control where you think you are in control Mm -hmm. and you've got to turn over that to somebody else to kind of help guide you through um so i went through that and i went through um the outpatient program there at fairbanks um in indianapolis where you know three nights a week for three hours a night um and you're still working in retail then? Still working retail. Because retail, you might not know this either, their insurance program covers this <laughs> because they are aware of Yes you know, and no. Yeah, well, see, yeah, you're right. But all right. <laughs> they, so they have depression, can- all this other canceling you, stuff for that. You have to go and say, I have a problem mm-hmm. before they come to you and say you have a problem. So I was still working retail um, and I, I was actually in the short term disability for 90 days where I actually did not work for 90 days um, and was in the outpatient program Mm -hmm. for three months, three nights a week, going through all that stuff. Um, And part of that was going to meetings and sitting there and and listening to everybody and do all that. Um, And I was angry the whole time, just angry, just like sitting there and listening to other people. Um, and what I would, you know, excuses and things like that, right? Which is me judging we're people. Prob- we're well, right. as retailers, we're problem solvers. Well, so yeah. The problem was is that I was looking at everybody else, mm-hmm. and like, well, I'm I'm not that guy. I'm not this guy. I'm not right. that guy. I mean, and and um, I did it. I did it for um, a year and a half. Was sober, did everything, went to the meetings. Um, is this when the weight started coming off too? No. Okay. Continue. No, weight went on. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Well, when you quit, when you're going to get rid of one addiction, you pick up another addiction. Okay. You trade addictions for addictions if you're not really dealing with what it is. So I probably was like 340 and added, you know, anywhere 20, 30 pounds easy. Okay. Um, and, you know, year and a half in and decided I was going to reward myself. And, uh, the cores came out with the 16 ounce aluminum can silver bullets. Right. They were really cool. And they came in these four packs. Um, so on my fourth trip back up to the liquor store that night, because I was only buying them four at a time, <laughs> then I went two more years of drinking. Wow. Um, and I had a district manager at the time that went through a, a bariatric surgery. So I'm 370 pounds. I'm going to turn 40. Um, realize that I am now completely out of control because I've done enough things and sat through enough classes and um, had a had a sponsor, all the stuff that you do, you go through um, like, all right. Yeah. So this is this is where my rock bottom is going to be. You know, I'd had a I had a torn plantar fasciitis on one foot. 
Um, my other foot was all screwed up from being so fat and working retail. My back was killing me. Um, I was, I was self-medicating with, you know, alcohol and I stayed away from pain pills, which was actually probably very good mm -hmm. because, um, when I had the plantar fasciitis, uh, release surgery on my left foot, I couldn't drink and take oxycodone because I couldn't control my drunk. Mm-hmm. Cause it was like, wow, this is, this mixture right here is really, really bad. So it scared me mm -hmm. enough not to do it. Um, because I was still that kind of control freak on things. So I'm going, I'm, I'm physically falling apart. I am on still in retail, still in retail. Okay. I am, I'm, I am 360, 370 pounds. I'm on two blood pressure medications. I'm on cholesterol medication. I am pre-diabetic. I am sitting there where physically to get up and walk around the store to do the job that I had was, was killing my, my, my knees, my hips, my back, everything. Um, and the district manager, he, he had gone on a, on a leave and came back and started, you know, like losing all this weight. So I asked him like, all right, what's your secret? What'd you do? Um, and he went and he had a bariatric surgery. So I went to find out about it to meet with the, the surgeons there at Meridian Medical Center in uh, Indianapolis and um, met with her. And she sat there and she goes, all right, you're going to be 40. Within 10 years, if you continue down the path that you're on right now, here's the four or five things that are, they're not, it's not like it's not going to happen. It's just in the next 10 years, you're going to have a major medical procedure. You're going to have Something's going to fail your back, knees, whatever. You're, you're probably going to have a stroke. You're probably going to have, because I was also smoking at the time too. Um, this is where you're going to be. If you make it past 50, mm -hmm. we'll, you'll be very surprised. Most people in your condition don't make it past 50. You're, you're a walking heart attack. You're a walking stroke. You're, you're, you know, you're going to have something. So I was like, all right. And she goes, but we're not going to, you can't do this surgery. You have to go and deal with all of these issues that you have before we would even consider doing this. So you can't come back here and talk to us for at least six months. You you have to go through um, with a counselor. You got to go through all this. So she referred me to a guy named Charlie. Um, and this is uh, it's about nine. We're, we're so we're in March right now. So um, just a little over nine years ago. Um, and I met with him and Charlie was, was an al recovering alcoholic that had bariatric surgery that our, our lives mirrored each other a lot, um, in, in certain aspects of things of how we handled situations and, and stuff like that. And I started going to talk to him, you know, once a week, twice a week, sometimes, um, and through that process, he goes, you know, the type of person that you are, pick a date, and that's the date that you stop. So I did. Um, it was the Saturday night of the Indiana section match in June of 2013. I went out with some of the friends um, there for dinner. Uh, we, we started that night with... Uh, you know, the, the Rodney Dangerfield line, bring me the 24-ounce beer, and as soon as you go, and just bring another one back, right? Ended up, you know, shooting that match the next morning. I I, I don't remember it, but that was the last night I drank. Um, and then I quit smoking like two weeks later. 
And then in August of that year is when I actually had the, the bariatric surgery. So I had a row and wide bariatric procedure um, where they, they make the pouch. Still, I still have my stomach, but it's not mm-hmm. attached to the actual pouch. And they bypass 24 centimeters of small intestine. So I don't absorb things the same way. Part of that is, is that if I do drink, because I don't absorb things with that, that missing part of smaller intestine, it's very, very bad for you. Very dangerous. Yeah. Um, you can get, you know, alcohol poisoning really quick and you know, all these other things. Now, there are people who have had the same surgery that can go and do it. But for me, that's like you did this and that was your stopping point. And from there, I, I've not drank. I've not smoked. Mm-hmm. Um, I've not had a soft drink. I've not had because there's certain triggers, right? So for me to drink a Coke only time I really ever drink soft drinks is when rum was in it. Rum was in it. Right. That's we've been out to eat a lot of times, and that's why you always order what you it's not it's not a Coke. You never order right. a soft drink. It's either water yeah. or lemonade yep. or or strawberry lemonade. That's People right. laugh at me. That's right. They're like, You like water without a lemon, but you'll order a lemonade. Right. Yeah, because I don't there's like water in my lemon either. There's there's no trigger. <laughs> lemonade in my water, excuse me. <laughs> there's no trigger for me with, with lemonade or strawberry lemonade. Yeah. So that's um, a trigger for you. That's that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, and it was just, this is the point in my life. I'm turning, I turned 40 that year Mm -hmm. and this is where I'm, have turned over a new lifestyle. Okay. So I went from 300 that morning, I weighed 371 pounds that we did the bariatric surgery. Um, now luckily because I had that relationship with Charlie and was able to really dig into some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, a couple of those things that, that people need to be aware of that, that he did a really good job was, is that you still have every one of these addictions and eating disorders and all of that. All you're doing is physically making it harder to eat large quantities. If you want to kill yourself, do this surgery and then try to still live that same lifestyle because you'll be dead in a year or you'll right. be dead in two years because you're going to, you you'll blow up or you'll stretch it all out and do all that stuff. I followed everything. I mean, to the, to the letter for the first year and a half, mm-hmm. the diet, the, the food portions, I wasn't weighing stuff out like a lot of people do, but I cut out carbs Pastas, breads, all this stuff. Um, and I went from 371 pounds to mm-hmm. 184 pounds in about a year period wow. of time. And I looked bad. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I was way too skinny for my 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 frame and build. So I added some of that stuff back in um, and, and have sit between 210 and 220, 215. My goal is to be about 200. Um, but... You know, I've traded one addiction for another addiction, and right. I, I I drink coffee. Or mm-hmm. in my case, I mean, my you know, this isn't called coffee. I have kind of an espresso kind of fiend, um, and I kind of reward myself throughout with desserts kind of deal. Right. But the control side of me is I will never have a clear plate. So if you've gone out to dinner yep. with me before, you mm-hmm. always see. Yep. There's there's always stuff left on there, um, and I try to stay very, um, you know, portion size wise, uh, and I'm very particular about how I order and what I eat and all that stuff. So, right. um, 
it was it was difficult. It was I mean, it was very difficult, and it still is to this day. I mean, there there are days to where, um, you know, especially right after that, where we were on the range, right? You right. Know, a beer after a match, right, is is pretty good. And, right. and the people who know me, they don't offer it anymore. But I, you know, right. I used to joke about that and. and like, hey, you want a beer? It's like, oh, did you, no, we're not did going you, down that road. Did you ever again. get to a point where you thought shooting wasn't going to be the same because you didn't have that? No. Okay. No, that was never. No. Okay. Um, other things in my life. Yeah. 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 Because you're one of the most, you know, strongest people I know that I can you know recently because uh, you had some very unfortunate events that have happened in your life. Yeah. And when I found out about it, I was like, he could, could lose everything personally now with his body and very easily go back into a world of hell with it. I, I would, I mean, as I've told my kids um, about, you know, what's transpired in our lives over the last two and a half years. Yep. Um, so in August of 2019, well, actually, it kind of goes back to um, 2018. So my wife, uh, after our, I, you know, quit drinking and, and cleaned up my act and started losing weight and all that stuff, um, she had struggled with, with drinking and she kind of quit along with me, but never went into any kind of programs or anything. Right. And there were times where I would travel and go out of town and then find out that, you know, she had drank or has she gone out with friends and stuff, but we, we never did together. Um, and it put a strain on our relationship at times, um, where I probably had some unrealistic expectations of, of her not really thinking about issues that she was going through. Cause I mean, I completely changed my entire life. Right. And that affected everybody around me. Because um, they didn't, you made this decision. Right. It, well, you it, have to. Yeah. And, but if everybody's not else on board, it's like going, it's like all of a sudden somebody in the family is going to be on a diet. So we got to change cooking for right. everybody. Like, what? <laughs> I didn't want to be on a diet. Right. <laughs> um, I know what you're talking about. So very, very positively received by my kids. Right. On the surface of things, positively received by my wife because I was, I was more energetic. I was happier doing things. Um, but she was struggling with things that she wasn't talking to any of us about mm -hmm. and then hit some really low points. Um, she had a ruptured disc in her back, um, and got addicted to pain medication. Right. Um, and once, couldn't get kind of prescription for that was self-medicating through alcohol. Um, and I was working for USPSA at the time and traveling quite a bit and was finding out more about, you know, I could, I could call home and in the evening and tell that she had been drinking mm -hmm. or I could talk to her in the middle of the afternoon when she was supposed to be at work and, and tell that she was drinking. So um, we, we got her into a program um, there in Indianapolis that, that didn't work. She went through that program, um, and then had a, had a really bad relapse. Um, and we got her into a different program that was down in Fort Myers, Florida. Um, what I will tell you about programs, if you're 
if you are struggling yourself or you have a family member struggling, do a ton of research on what the programs and facilities are. They are not all the same. They are not. There are many, many of them that are just in it for your 90 days of insurance money mm -hmm. that will cover it. And they're not really helping people. They're putting people through just the, the basics of things. And unfortunately, that's what Kathy went through. Right. Wasn't the best program to be in. But for the, the next year, she did pretty good. Right. She had a couple of relapse issues that were in there. Some of it was, um, you know, difficult with me being in and out of town. Um, but things had gotten with us as far as our relationship, at least on the surface at the time. She started coming with me to events. Mm -hmm. We were traveling afterwards um, using, you know, because when we do this, we build up, you know, a lot of points, a lot of travel points. And so, right. so we went to Alaska. Um, we went to Puerto Rico twice. Um had came down to Florida during some of the events, uh, and we went and did things afterwards and did, did, uh, some, some vacations that we had put off for a long time. All right. Coming into July of 2019, we had our anniversary in Puerto Rico. I mean, I skipped out on going to the Ipsic nationals that year and right. was like, no, we're going, we're doing an anniversary and all that stuff. Things were great. Um, the August 3rd, we had moved my daughter from her apartment into a dorm, getting ready to start her senior year of college down in IU. And it was a rough day. Um, the place that she was moving into wasn't exactly what it was supposed to be. I got into an argument with the landlords and, and stuff like that. Surprisingly enough, I got, you know, you're, you're messing with my little girl. And, <laughs> they took off the weight. They didn't take off the attitude. <laughs> right, right. And, I mean, at that point, they're, they're standing there having the argument with this this little lady that's a landlord of and these are college housing in Bloomington, Indiana. Right? right. So these things are, you know, they're 90 years old yeah, and they're all brick. And they're falling apart yeah. and all this stuff. And I mean, I'm standing there kind of towering over this, this little lady and just like, you know, giving her the riot act on shit. And um, she's like, your name's not on the lease. And if you do not leave this property, I will call the police and have you trespass out of here. And you won't even be able to come and see your daughter here and i'm like oh well my bullshit just got called <laughs> right <laughs> we just we just got trumped on, on this one so i go and you know sit out in the car and wait until she leaves to go and help her move back in and we drive home uh that night we're supposed to be coming back and we've had really good conversations and um that morning uh get up just like we normally do and i go in shoot a local club match at the South Central Gun Club, um, which is down by Bloomington. Um, it's in Freetown, Indiana, down. So it's, you know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes away from Bloomington. Mm -hmm. I'm going to shoot the match. I'll go meet you guys for lunch. We'll go and help move you guys back in, you know, finish doing all the moving, all that stuff on Sunday. And Kathy sent me a text message. And she's like, hey, I screwed up. I got drunk this morning. And I'm like, what the hell? I mean, and this is text message, not... Right. I was like, what the hell? What, what, is, what are you? I mean, it's 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. What? What's the deal? Um, and I had sent a, a text message. It's like, I can't help you if you're not willing to help yourself. And her final text message to me was, okay, I will. 45 minutes later, I get a phone call from my daughter that they had walked into the house and found her. 
where she had shot and killed herself. Good God. Yeah. In the house. The girls weren't there. Um, They had left to go to Walmart to get some stuff. And they were then driving down to Bloomington. So Kathy thought that she was in, nobody was coming back. Um, You know, wouldn't answer the phone. And and I'm, I'm on the last stage of the match. And I tell the guy, who's like, hey, can I shoot through? I need to get home and find out what's going on. Right. And I'm leaving the range when my daughter called me. hysterical that they had walked in the house and um had found her so i'm 45 minutes away from the house my two daughters are there um my son is um he lived out of town and i had to get a hold of him and i i had a 45 minute drive home knowing that so you want to, yeah, the, the, there was every, I mean, hmm, that's probably the longest 45 minutes I could imagine. And the shortest 45 minutes, because I don't know. Yeah. The control, everything's. And I live on a cul-de-sac. So I drive down the street and when you come around the corner, Mm. you see the two police cars, you see the ambulance, you see the EMT, um, you see, you know, like the neighbors are all staying. I mean, this one o'clock on a, on a Saturday af- or Sunday afternoon. Um, and you, you got to get your shit together pretty quick mm-hmm. um, with your, you know, your kids and your family. And, and that, you know, you can't go in. Don't you know what? Let me go in. Um, but, you know, interacting with the police and talking to them, which is, it's very, I can picture in my head, but I can't tell you what I said. I I don't remember any of that stuff. It's almost like you, what I picture in my head is almost like third person. Yeah. Kind of seeing that. Um, But I vividly remember them bringing, you know, her out, um, the, the kids were in the backyard of a neighbor's house, and then they leave. Every, I mean, you're, and you're standing there, like, what do you, what do you do? Like, how, where do you go? What do you, you know? What's next? Yeah, there's three dogs running around in the house. There's, um, so you you automatically go into, you know, kind of. <laughs> overdrive on all right i'm gonna go in i'm gonna shut the door and kids you have to go in and pack up for two weeks like we're not we're not going to be here for two weeks until we figure out what's going on trying to find a hotel kind of stuff so yeah i mean you you can reevaluate everything you've ever said, everything you've ever missed, every conversation. I mean, you go through just this roller coaster of things and then realize you've got to get your shit together because, you know, her mom is there. The kids are there. You know, my parents live in Evansville. Um, 
the neighbors and stuff and you know you want to you want to lay down and you know throw up in your front yard and just throw your hands up and be like you know yeah <laughs> somebody come and and tell me what to do and, and you don't have that mm -hmm. um and that is you know in the middle of of everything that was going on with uspsa oh. and nationals coming up and all these i mean all this stuff and and you're like i don't like i i I don't know what to do. And then you have to go through and, you know, have the services and, and all that stuff. And you, you're, I mean, you are on autopilot, just kind of coasting through. But I mean, I had every excuse in the world to just be like, you know, screw it. Yeah, I, I need a drink. I yeah. need that, and I, I remember. So, we are driving back from the services a week later, and it's uh, me and Isabel, my youngest daughter, um, driving back to the hotel that we're staying at to then kind of go to that bullshit forced lunch where you got to go yeah. and and have everybody, you know tell you that you're thinking about you and all this stuff which is great you know you like hearing that but you know at the same time you don't all right you know um so a lady cut me off in traffic and i mean i lost my shit wow <laughs> that poor lady was about ready to get you know 22 years of my relationship with kathy and everything bad all at one time and Isabel's scared she's <laughs> like I've never seen you like that dad so I, I pull over on the side of the road and just just break down ball wow you know get my shit together drive to the hotel change go to uh go to the the lunch that's with family um and then decided that I'm not gonna let this beat me and Really, that's kind of how I've been for the last, what are we, two and a half years? Two and a half years ago. Um, so, there's, just so you know, you know, you can you can tag me in all your shitty memes and you can, <laughs> you can have fun with, you know, not enough Porta Johns or, or not, not enough food or Brett Wally can send me all the hate Facebook messages he wants. You're, you're not going to beat me. Right. Um. I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to take it in stride. I'll get better where I can. Right. Um, and that's just, that's just, you know, how I decided to roll with this stuff. Um, and in the process of dealing with all of that, I was able to, you know, fall back and talk to Charlie, yeah. um, help my kids, you know, when, when you lose your mom, at the ages that they're at um, and realize like we went through high school graduation and college graduation and uh, uh, my, my son's grad school graduation. That, that was all the next year. Mm -hmm. They didn't have their mom for that. I know. Um, we didn't get to celebrate her 50th birthday. We didn't, you know, we, you know, we, we make jokes about how Kathy wouldn't have been handled. 
able to handle COVID. Right. Right. <laughs> like, because like, when my wife left the house, you know, there, she never had her hair pulled up in a ponytail wearing sweatpants, right? So it's right. So this, you know, she would have been fuck your mask mandate, right? Put on makeup. I look good. Right? That's right. Um, That's right. Because she was, I mean, she was a gorgeous woman, and yes. and I mean, she was always, um, I don't, I don't want to say fixed up or overdone or any of that stuff, but that she was always on point. Yeah, and and to go through, um the shit that we've gone through right. as a country and all this stuff and like she she would not have done <laughs> it's almost comical to me to sit there and be like hey babe where's your where's your, where's your, where's your put your mask on stuff <laughs> well, because she was an extremely opinionated woman as right. well right well so. she was and i want to i want to pause there for a minute and take a break and i want to we're, we're going to continue this on jake martin's part two because i want to <laughs> get into um, when you went with the USPSA for, you know, part time and took on that role and to okay. learn more about where we got to where we're at now and what the future looks like, because I wanted the people to hear how really what you have gone through and how strong you are, because I'm, I'm very proud of you. You're an amazing individual because I talked to you. Used to all the time because that's when I first got started with USPSA and you helped me get all started. <laughs> and when you when you disappeared for a while, just because all the stuff you had to handle. You know, it was um, from a friend that we are friends. It was tough because I knew I knew you. I knew a little bit of your history because we talked. But to to be where you're at now, to make it through it, where you didn't go back to your addictions, you never picked up a cigarette, you never picked up a you know another drink, and right. you and you and you did it for yourself, and you did it for your kids that are still here, and your mom and 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 her mom. That you know you have you know still with you today. That's there and and to help out she's, with everything. Yeah, she's, she's she's at the house right now. I know, taking she's, care of the yeah, dogs. Exactly. So or, and organizing, organizing the spice cabinet. Organizing the spice cabinet. <laughs> so by the know, way, she messed up on where the chicken spices should go with the steak spices. Can, but that's a little bit can, of that OCD. You can, you can fix I'll, that I'll fix when you that. get home. Yeah. But but no, um, you're very strong. You're very strong. And I want to talk about you know some on part two. What we're gonna you know get into of why you are the way you are in certain things, being strong to be able to go in a certain direction for, you know, listening to the members and what you're really doing to move forward. Sure. So thank you so much so far. And thank you for checking out part one of the episode with Jake Martins and um, how he got started in shooting and where he's going through in his lifestyle and where he's at today. But part two is going to be a very interesting story because you know me, I'm going to dive into some things that you're all asking questions about right now. But until part two, we'll see you in a little bit. Yeah.